0: My name is Joe Deegan. I'm on staff with RYM. Uh, Please pardon the cough drop in my mouth. I'm already losing my voice. It's day one of week one of the summer, and uh, I got a lot more talking and singing left to do, so pray for me. Um, I'm so excited to be here with you to go through this elective class. Uh, I'm going to pray for us before we get started, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. A little bit about what this class is going to be, and then we'll dive into it. So let's pray. God, we love you, and we, we are so grateful that you've given us this, this space and this time to come before you, and to learn who you are, and to know you better, to look into your word. God, I pray that You would awaken our souls to Your story, awaken our minds, our excitement and our joy to who You are and who You've revealed Yourself to be. God, I pray that You would take away distractions of people walking and noises in the kitchen and in the other room. I pray that You would help us to see You, to to focus in just for this short period of time. And God, I pray that You would give me words Because my words will not change anyone's heart. It has to come from You. And so I pray that Your Spirit would be at work right now. And that You would drive us further and deeper into Your story and into Your goodness. So that we would long to walk with You every single day. And we ask this in Christ's name, Amen. My name is Joe. I am from a small town in Alabama called Tuscumbia, where John Trapp is from. And I uh, was born and raised there, moved to Houston in 2009 to work with a youth group at Christ the King Presbyterian, and then started working with RYM about a year and a half ago. So I'm full-time on staff with RYM. I lead worship at all the camps, and during the year I'm writing and recording and making music, and so getting to do things that I love and feel called to do. But I tell, I tell people often that What I really feel like my job is, maybe more than anything else, is that I feel like my job is to tell stories. I love telling stories. I actually come from a long line of storytellers in my family. My grandmother was a professional storyteller. And she would like go to these folk festivals and stuff, and people would gather around and listen to her tell ghost stories or folk tales, and and it was just this, like, really cool, like, old-timey thing. We would sit on picnic blankets and listen to her, and everyone in my family is just, like, really good storytellers, and we would, you know, at family gatherings, we'd just sit around the dinner table and just tell stories all the time. So it was just something I was immersed in from an early age and grew up loving, and As I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate the power and the impact of stories and how important they are, but mostly how they shape us. That's what we're going to get into this week. I want you to see that stories shape you and mold you and drive you more than anything else in this world. The world is telling you stories to try to shape you and mold you. God is also telling you stories to try to shape and mold you. I want you to see the difference between the two. I want you to learn to recognize the two, but mostly I want you to see the beauty of God's story and why he's told it to us. So before we dive into that, I want to tell you a story about stories. Way back in time, in like the 1400s in Europe, most people lived in small communities and villages kind of scattered through the countryside. Some people lived in big cities like Rome, Paris, London, but most people were just kind of out in these small communities where they were backed up against the woods. And, and so the, this was also a time of family values <coughs> where parents wanted to really instill these family values into their children they wanted to teach them, like, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, be respectful of your parents. Uh, Don't go into the woods because there's animals out there and bad people who want to hurt you. So the woods was very dangerous. Now, the parents realized early on that they couldn't just come in and give a bunch of rules to their kids. Because kids don't respond to rules. Like, if I were to just come in and look at a kindergarten class and say, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, be respectful, and don't go into the woods. All right? You got it? Let's go forth. Like, nobody's going to pay attention to that. Everybody, in fact, is going to do the exact opposite because there's something in us that when we hear a rule, it makes us just want to break it. All right? I don't know. We were just made that. That's not how we were made, but that's what sin does to us. All right? We want to break rules. It's in us. So parents realize that if they want to teach their children, the best way to do it is to tell them stories. And so they would gather around at night, around the fireplace or the hearth, or around the community table, and they would tell stories to their kids. Stories about a little girl dressed in red who wants to bring a meal to her grandmother, but she has to go through the dark woods alone. And when she gets there, she's found by a big bad wolf and the wolf drives her out and tricks her like they would tell these stories to their kids and the kids would just be like oh, i don't want to go in the woods <laughs> like done like mission accomplished right there because parents realized that stories shape us more than rules you and i were made this way sometime around the 1800s there were these two brothers who realized that. And they wanted these stories to be passed down in legacy. These brothers from Germany named Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. And so they went around the countrysides and villages in Europe and gathered these stories and wrote them down and published them in a book called Grimm's Fairy Tales. And these are many of the stories that you and I grew up with. Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Rumpelstiltskin, The Frog Prince, Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, Little Red Riding Hood, they, they all came from these stories. That's what Disney kind of based their beginning on. These are the stories that really shaped and molded so many childhoods. My point is this. story. The word story is kind of a buzzword in our culture. People love using it all the time. But it's a great word, and it's an important word. And it's a word that I want you to understand because stories shape us Unlike anything else. And we're going to get into that today. Look in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. is uh three and a half i forgot to tell you about my family i have a beautiful wife leah we've been married for almost seven years we have a daughter named ellie who's five sam is three and a half and will is two and we have a fourth on the way little maggie will be here in october i can't wait to meet her but sam is my my oldest boy he's my middle child right now and Sam is very similar to me in a lot of ways, he's super uh, contemplative, like he thinks about things a lot, he's, he's not very organized, he's very easily distracted like I am, uh, but he's also drawn towards more artistic, creative things, um, <clears throat> he, uh, he's just a funny little boy. Uh, One of the things, though, that really kind of shocked me was when he was about nine months old, he started doing this thing where I would like sit on the ground and he would sit there and he would just throw his body back on me and lean back into me and hit me hard and he'd just cackle and laugh. He thought it was the funniest thing in the world. My parents were in town visiting one week. I was like, hey, mom, come here. I want to show you what Sam's doing. And Sam would sit there and he'd just throw himself back and he'd laugh. And I looked up at my mom and she was just going, I said, what? She said, you used to do the exact same thing when you were the exact same age. I said, nuh-uh, and she showed me a video. I did the exact same thing. Like That's not like a normal thing that every nine-month-old does. It's just kind of a weird thing like for a baby to just throw themselves back, not knowing what's back there. It's kind of this nine-month-old version of a trust fall, I guess. But I used to do the same thing when I was the same age. And my mom showed that to me. I, I, I'm blown away at how like even our laugh, is similar. You know why? When people look at Sam and they see me, you know what they say? They say, that boy is the spitting image of you. That's what it means to be in the image of someone else. When we say that we are made in God's image, we're not so much saying that we look like Him. What we're saying is, is we share His DNA. He has passed a part of Himself down into us so that we love the things that He loves and we hate the things that He hates. And we get excited about the things that make Him excited. Unfortunately, that image was tainted. That image was broken and ruined at the fall. Because two chapters after Genesis 1, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. And sin enters the world and ruins creation. And so our image is actually broken. It's not the way it was meant to be. But every now and then, that same love for the things that God loves will creep up. And we will see how we bear His image. And one of the ways we bear His image more clearly than in anything else is in our love for stories. Because God loves stories. God is the greatest storyteller of all time. He loves stories so much that He caused us to love stories. When I was (coughs) a youth pastor, I uh, I, I used to joke about this with my students. When I would be teaching a Sunday school lesson, I might be kind of in the middle of giving them the little facts or the lessons or whatever, and I could see their eyes just falling and their heads drifting over. And then I would say, this one time, and everyone's head would perk up, Because they knew I was about to launch into a story. In fact, you did the exact same thing when I began that story. You just didn't realize it, (laughs) okay? Like, there is something inside of us that when somebody starts a story, it immediately grabs our attention because we were made for stories. You love stories so much. It's deep in your heart. It's how God made you in His image. We are obsessed with stories. Have you all seen Avengers Endgame? All right, I'm going to tell you how it ends right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell you anything about the movie, but I do love that movie. I'm, I was not a, like a big comic book guy growing up, but I love the Marvel movies. I think they're great. And one of the things that amazed me was that uh, I just discovered Avengers Endgame is the second highest grossing movie of all time, and it's probably about to pass Avatar as the number one movie of all time. And what's crazy is that if you really think about it, it is not a great standalone movie. Like if you just walk into the theater having no idea of any of what's gone on before it in any of the other movies, you are not going to appreciate that movie because it's literally part twenty-two of a twenty-two part series. There were twenty-one Marvel movies that led up to that story, and yet it's probably going to be the number one movie of all time. You know what that tells me? It tells me. That we, as human beings, love stories. We are obsessed with stories, long stories. We're willing to be patient and wait 11 years to see this story unfold. Because that's what it is. It's the conclusion of 21 movies that took place over the course of 11 years. We love stories. Stories shape and mold us and drive us in ways that nothing else can. So we're going to talk about four things this morning. Four things to really kind of break down what a story is and how they affect us. Point number one your life is a story. Your life is a story. When I was in college, I was an English major, so I spent a lot of time taking writing classes and story classes. And one of the things every professor would talk about were the elements, the things that make a story a story. In other words, if you don't have these things, it can't be a story. So I'm going to give you three. This is going to sound a little bit like an English class for a second. Bear with me, okay, because this has a point. But I'm going to give you three things every story has to have. If it doesn't have these three things, it can't be a story. And I'm really proud of myself because I made all of them start with a C. All right, so I used alliteration. I like alliteration. Number one, construction. Every story has to have construction. What I mean by that is a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has to be constructed in that way. Every story has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Number two, every story has to have characters. Because characters form relationships that drive the story forward. Number one, construction. Number two, characters. Number three, conflict. Every story has to have conflict. If you don't have conflict, if you don't have a problem, then you don't have a story. Because every story has to have a problem that needs to be fixed. And the best stories find a way to redeem that conflict. And to bring it like to fruition. Okay. Construction, characters, conflict. Alright. That's the English lesson part of the day. We're done for now. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Your life has all three of those things your life has construction you have a beginning a middle and an end you were born you came into this world you were raised you lived and eventually one day that story will come to an end we will all die a beginning a middle and an end your life has construction your life has characters you are essentially the main character of your story all right and you have all these other characters around you your friends Right, They're like characters in a play. They're characters in your story. And these characters form relationships with you. And they drive your story forward. And sometimes characters in your story may not even be people. Like one of the characters in my story, I would say, would be my hometown. Like there's something about when I come into that town and visit it now that I live in Houston. When I come to Tuscumbia, Alabama, like I, I drive in through sweet little Main Street and the buildings and the air and the, the trees, like even the smells, like it makes me feel at home in a way that certain things don't. And so like it, it, the characters in your story don't always have to be people. They can be things or places, but you have characters that you form relationships with and they drive your story forward. And lastly, you have conflict. We already talked about that with the fall. Sin ruined our image of God and it brings conflict into our lives we have conflict between us and the other characters in our story conflict between us and our friends conflict at school, conflict within ourselves because we can't figure out who we're supposed to be and we struggle through this over and over again but there is definite conflict in our stories and the hope is that that conflict can be redeemed. And we'll get to that later on this week. But you have construction in your life. You have characters and you have conflict. Your life is a story. That's point number one. Point number two, your story is not an accident. Your story is not an accident. I mentioned that there were three things every story has to have. I withheld the fourth one from you. Here's the fourth thing every story has to have. I also made it start with a C. I'm so proud of myself. The fourth thing every story has to have is a creator. It has to have an author. One who created that story. Does somebody want to read Psalm 139, 14 through 16 for me? You got it? Psalm 139, 14 through 16. You got it? Okay, go for it. Psalm 139, 14 through 16. Starting at verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. I can't even say that word. Woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my uniform substance. In your book were written, every one of them. The days that were formed, I love that last verse. Thank you, by the way. That last verse. In your book were written every one of my days. You know what this is saying? It's saying that God is your author. He's the creator of your story. And before you were born, He began writing that story out. In His book were written every one of your days. It literally shows God as an author writing your story in a book. And so what that means is that your story is not an accident. Because you have a creator who wrote you for a reason. He made you for a reason. And he gave you your story for a reason. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Pixar. Y'all like Pixar movies? Toy Story 4 is coming out in a few weeks. I'm really pumped about that. I'm a huge fan of Pixar. And several years ago, I read this article that the creators of Pixar wrote. It's uh, 21 tips for storytelling, and it was they basically wrote it for authors and other storytellers out there. And it just like had like nice little one-two sentence tips. Like one tip they gave was, um, you know, if you're if you're an author, um, a coincidence that gets your character into trouble is fun a coincidence that gets them out of trouble is cheating it's like oh that's a really good tip you know like just stuff like that that pixar is so good at when they get to their storytelling another tip they had was this this is to authors everywhere combine your characters so that every character in your story ends up serving a purpose because you can't have wasted characters so they said, go, when you write your first draft, go back through, combine characters if you need to, because you don't need to have any characters straggling out over here that, that are wasting space, that aren't serving a purpose. Every character in your, ser- in your story has to serve a purpose. Now listen to me, if the creators of Pixar can figure that out, how much more do you think your heavenly father knows that? He is not only the greatest storyteller, he is the inventor of stories. How much more do you think he knows that your story is not an accident? You are not a wasted character. You serve a purpose in this story, and your story matters. Now listen to me, I'm not saying that to make you feel better about yourself or to boost your self-esteem. I'm actually saying that to humble you. Because when you realize that your story is not an accident, you can actually begin to see that life is about more than just how you feel all the time. Because we all struggle with this, I struggle with this, you guys especially struggle with this as middle schoolers, you go through life basing everything on how you feel. Like a good day to you depends entirely on how you felt that day. A bad day to you depends entirely on how you felt that day. We go through life spending so much of our lives like trying to figure things out based on how we feel. And I'm trying to tell you that your story is about more than just how you feel. Your story is not an accident. Because you might wake up one day and go, I feel like I don't belong. I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. I feel like I'm a waste of space. I feel like I should have more. Or whatever it is. That's not the truth. The truth is God put you here for a reason and your story is not an accident. Your Creator made you and wrote you in His book. Number three. All right. Number one was your life is a story. Number two, your story is not an accident. Number three. Your story needs to be shared with others. So a lady named Emily S. Fahani Smith. She says, when we, want to know, when we want people to understand us, we share our story with them. When we want to know who another person is, we ask them to share their story. So I have a group of friends that very recently, like within the past six months or so, we've, a group of guys, we've been getting together, and the purpose is for us to tell each other our stories. We'll literally like sit down in a circle, and some person will go and start with like childhood and say, you know, this is what my life was like growing up. These are the things that I love, the family dynamics. These are the hard things that happened to me. Uh, these are things that I struggle with. And we just kind of walk through our stories, and we would each take turns. And then we'd get together again, and we kind of give updates on our stories. we continue walking through them together. That has been such a valuable thing for me to get to know these guys better. What I'm saying is you need to have a space in your life where you can tell somebody your story. You need to be able to share that story with someone else. That could be a best friend or someone you're really close to. It could be a brother or sister. It could be a youth pastor. It could be a teacher. It could be, heaven forbid, your parents. I tell my kids all the time I'm trying to like impress this on their little hearts right now. I'm trying to tell them that you can say anything to us. You can tell mommy and daddy anything. You don't have to hide anything from us. We will always love you no matter what. Just tell us what you did or what happened. Most of you, your parents feel the exact same way. We have this idea that like we can't tell our parents any of that stuff. For most of you, your parents love you so much, they want to hear your stories. They want to know what's going on. And you need to be able to share your stories with people. You need to be able to sit down with someone and say, you know... I know I haven't lived very long but when I was younger like this is what life was like and for some reason now I'm not as happy as I was when I was younger and I can't figure out why I don't know how those two things connect but I just I don't know that's where I am right now like you need to be able to tell somebody that you need to be able to share your heart and your story with somebody else because your story was not meant to be lived alone you have characters in your life I mean think about it if God is your creator and you have all these characters in your life. Who put them there? God. The people who are in your life are there for a reason. It's because you are meant to live life with them and share your story with them. You're not meant to live your story alone. Alright, the last point is this. First one, again, your life is a story. Your story is not an accident. Your story needs to be shared. Number four is this. This is the last one. Your life Your story should be shaped by God's story. Your story should be shaped by God's story. When I was a kid, I used to hear people say all the time in church and stuff that you need to listen to God. Or uh, what has God told you lately? Or God told me this. Or God told me that. And I was so confused by that because I had never heard God speak before. <laughs> I'd never heard His voice, and I didn't know how all these other people were hearing God. And then I would hear somebody say, you need to listen to God. And i will be like, how? I just have to get really quiet, like pay so close attention to the wind and the air. Like, I didn't know how to hear God's voice. But then when I was in high school, somebody explained to me that the way you listen to God is by reading your Bible. And it made sense. I was like, oh yeah, like this is God's word. This is God speaking to you. So the way you listen to God is by reading your Bible. That's how God speaks most clearly, is through his word. I was like, got it, that makes sense. I saw the Bible in a new way. But even then, even then, I wasn't getting the full picture. I'm, I'm just going to be like super vulnerable with you right now and t- tell you some of my struggles with, that I've had with the Bible for like my whole life. It wasn't really until just a few months ago that I began to see the Bible in a different light that has really changed the way I read my Bible. I know this sounds like an infomercial right now. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like some, something happened that has really changed the way I see the Bible and the way I read it. Because for the longest time, for most of my adult life, I read the Bible. <clears throat> I, okay, well, I'm going to say the phrase listening to God. What that means is reading my Bible, okay? I listen to God the same way I would listen to a teacher in a classroom who's giving me instructions. I would come to my Bible and say, okay, God, what do I need to do now? What do you want from me? Um, What am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do uh, in this situation in my life? Tell me. Give me instruction. Let me know what to do so that I can go do it. And that's good. That's not wrong. Okay, I want you to hear what I'm saying. That's not wrong. The Bible gives us instruction. The Bible gives us lessons and things that we need to learn. The Bible tells us what to do and what not to do. All of that's important. But that is not the main point of the Bible. The main point of the Bible is that it is a story from beginning to end. And it's not just a story. It's God's story. Do you remember earlier when I was talking about my group of friends and we would sit around and tell each other our stories? And about how the point is like when I, when I hear my friend tell me his story, I'm not listening to try to learn something necessarily I'm listening so that I can know him better I'm listening for the sake of intimacy when you read your Bible this is God telling you his story this is God becoming vulnerable with you and saying hey I want you to know me I want you to know me better so I'm gonna tell you my story And listen, there are going to be parts of that story that give you specific instruction. And that's really good. And there are going to be parts that give you lessons that you can take away and parts that you can directly apply to your life. And that's great. And you need that. It's all there. There's going to be parts of the Bible where you're going to read it and you're going to go, Okay, I don't know how this is supposed to plot in my life. Like, for example, I was recently reading through the book of Judges. There's a story in there about this war that's going on, and this guy slips into this woman's tent and says, hey, let me hide here for a little bit. And she says, sure, you can hide. In fact, you can go to sleep if you want to. I'll watch over the tent. And he goes, okay, thanks. He goes to sleep. While he's sleeping, she grabs a massive tent peg and drives it through his temple and kills him in the moment. And I read that story, and I'm like, Okay, And the application is, I don't don't know. What is this supposed to mean? How does this apply to my life? I don't know. You know what? I don't really think it does apply to my life. I can't find one part of that story that applies to my life. But you know what? This is God's story. And he put that in there for a reason. And he's telling us this because it's part of a bigger story. And so... Literally, like a few months ago, I've changed the way I see my Bible. When I come to it, I'm not so much saying like, God, what do you want me to do? I'm saying, God, will you tell me your story so that I can know you better? And it has changed the way I read my Bible. The other thing I'm going to say is this, and this is the super, super practical part. I'm going to end with this, so you all hang with me. Uh, I'm not an endurance runner, Okay. I play sports all my life, but I, I am, I'm more of a sprinter. I've never been very good at running long distances. Like a mile is way too long for me to run. I, that's, a, that's long distance for me. A marathon is like, get out of here. I'm not coming close to that. I'm just like, let me run the length of a basketball court, and then I'll be out of breath, and I'm done, okay? I'm a sprinter, and I realized something recently about my own Bible reading. I have been reading the Bible as a sprinter, Here's what I mean by that. And again, getting, I'm getting super vulnerable with you here because I, here I am, this like guy who's on staff with this ministry. I've, I'm 33 years old. I've spent like almost half of my life working in ministry, and I have always struggled with reading my Bible. I've never been very good at it. I'm being honest with you right now. Here's what it would normally look like for me. I would have this season in life where I'd be super fired up to read my Bible, and I'd be like, you know what? Gosh, I'm going to read 10 chapters a day And I'm going to read them every day for a year. I'm going to like finish the Bible before the year's over. And I'm going to be so fired up about reading my Bible every day. And I come in day one, I'd read 10 chapters and I'd be like, that was a lot. But you know what? I feel good. I feel good. I'm accomplishing things. I'm being more spiritually motivated. This is great. Next day I come in, I read 10 more chapters. And I'm like, that was... Two days in a row, man, I'm feeling it right now. That's a lot. Taking up a lot of time in my day, but you know what? It's worth it. It's a good thing. The next day, I read five chapters, and I'm just like, okay, i really got to move on to other things right now, but you know what? God loves me. He's not going to be disappointed in me. It's okay for me to just read five chapters. The next day, I come in. I read 15 chapters because I try to make up for the day before, and then the next day, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exhausting. I'm going to take a break. Because God wants me to rest, and you know what, He's not going to be disappointed in me, so I don't read anything that day. And then the next day, it's a lot easier for me to not read anything that day either. And the next, and the next, and the next. Until a few weeks go by, or maybe a few months, and I haven't opened my Bible or read it at all. That has been the pattern that I have gone through for a lot of my adult life, reading my Bible. Until literally just a few months ago. I know this sounds like an infomercial here again, but a few months ago, I just, I just came up with a different strategy because I realized that I have been approaching my Bible like a sprinter, but reading your Bible is like running a marathon. You have to pace yourself. And so you know what I do? Every morning I wake up, I go out in my living room, I sit down on my couch, and I read one chapter a day. I started in the book of Joshua. I just picked the book of Joshua because I thought that was interesting and I wanted to start there. And I read Joshua chapter 1 and I closed it and I prayed. And the next day I got up, I read Joshua chapter 2 and I closed it and I prayed. And the next day, Joshua 3, I closed it and I prayed. And I just read one chapter a day. Like, yes, I know that I would probably, it would probably be more beneficial if I read more than that every day. But you know what? If I read one chapter a day every day for a month... That's like 31 chapters. When's the last time, don't answer this out loud, but think, when's the last time you read 31 chapters of the Bible in one month? Luke 16.10 says this, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. I think God cares more about faithfulness in the small things than He does about like big, grand gestures of faith. Like, reading 10 chapters a day is like my grand gesture of faith to God. Like, here, God, aren't you impressed with me? I think God cares more about consistency and day-to-day walking with Him. So what I'm telling you is this. Read one chapter a day. Because I started doing this a few months ago, and I haven't missed a day. I got up this morning, and I read a chapter. Now, some days, like, here's what's happened. I'm not saying that to boast in any way. I'm saying that to let you know, like, I've been terrible at reading my Bible my whole adult life. And I'm saying this to encourage you. You can do this. You can read a chapter a day. The reason it's important is because it keeps you in God's story every day. Because your story needs to be shaped by His story. I'm not saying this to be legalistic. Like, I know sometimes in the Presbyterian church we're afraid to tell people what to do because we don't want to be legalistic. Like, like Reading your Bible every day is not going to make God love you more. It's not like you know a chapter a day keeps the devil away. Like That's not what we're saying here. What I'm saying is that it, if you just read a little bit every day, that consistency and that faithful walking with Jesus is going to shape you. You're going to see God's story begin to turn you and mold you in the ways that you should go. Reading one chapter a day. And you know what else has happened? I have found this to be true as i've been faithfully consistently in his word a hunger has begun to grow in my heart so that i want it more and more and there's some days when i'll read four or five chapters in a day because i just i don't want to stop i want to keep going some days i'll read 10 chapters a day but i don't feel like i have to do that every day the next day i'll just read one chapter and pray and move on i don't feel guilty about not reading 10 chapters a day that's the worst mistake you can get is to like sprint off the bat and say like I'm going to read so much and God's going to be so impressed with me this is a marathon this is a book that should take your whole life to continue reading and read slowly and read one chapter a day and let that scripture just marinate over your heart this is a marathon this is a long distance run it's okay to pace yourself and just read little bits at a time But what you need to do is to faithfully be in His Word every day. I'm telling you that because I love you and because I want you to know how great Jesus is. And I want you to hear God's story. And I want you to be in His story every day because you will begin to see how that will shape your story. All right, tomorrow we're going to come in and we're going to talk about the stories that the world is trying to tell you. Because God is the great storyteller of all time, but there's another storyteller out there who wants to tell you stories that lead to your destruction. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. In the meantime, let me pray and we'll be done. God, thank you so much for these students and their patience in listening to this and their patience in paying attention. And I pray that you would give them a hunger and a love for your Word. I pray that you would give them an excitement to leave this place and say, okay, I want to go home and read a chapter a day so that I can know you better, God, so that I can hear your story. I pray that you would that you would give them that love that they can't just produce on their own. I pray that your spirit would guide them so that they would hunger and thirst for righteousness, for your righteousness. I pray that you would give that to them. In Jesus name, amen. Thank you guys.